What Not the Podcast Lint Up Early Edition. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and it's Holy Saturday, the day that Jesus kept the Sabbath in the tomb. We'll talk about the events of that day, and then I've got a question about the third use of the law in the Christian life. Uh, That's coming up on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Holy Saturday. Jesus has hustled into the tomb before sunset on Friday night. Uh, In fact, there was a scramble to get Jesus and the other two crucified thieves off of the cross before the Sabbath day. It was a high Sabbath because it was a Sabbath day connected to the Passover. Uh, In fact, this pilot gives permission and the soldiers go and they break the legs of the men crucified on either side of Jesus, but they find Jesus is already dead and they, and they stab him with a spear, water and blood flow, flow out. So Joseph of Arimathea really as a first public act as a Christian goes and asks Pilate for the body of Jesus and he and Nicodemus and no doubt a team of uh, his servants as well as the women, maybe Mary and um, the mother of Jesus and some other women are there to lower Jesus off of the cross. They hastily take him to the tomb. There's a new tomb in a garden that's close by. No one had ever been there before, which again always sounds strange to us because we only use tombs once. But back in the ancient world, the tomb was a, you would use it often. You would bury the person there. You'd go back on the anniversary of their death. I mean, it would be a cave with a bunch of sort of chambers carved out. You'd go back on the anniversary of their grave and unravel the bones and put them in a box and someone else had to be laid there. That was you, So you had a family tomb. Anyhow, there's a tomb that had just been made and no one had ever been buried there before. And so they hastily wrapped Jesus and uh, kind of do a half of a burial job. That's why the women are so anxious to come back as early as possible on Sunday morning to finish the work. And they go to the tomb and they they wrap Jesus as quick as they can. And they, you know, one person's got to be outside watching the sun go down. You've got five minutes. And they close the tomb. And the women mark the place. They know they have to come back and finish the work. And they go home mourning. Then comes the Sabbath day. As far as we can tell, the disciples of Jesus, his apostles, the men and the women and all the followers, uh, stay home and keep the Sabbath, probably behind locked doors. When Jesus finds them, they're definitely behind locked doors for a week or more. They're behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They, um, They like their beards on their face. And they like their holeless hands and they like the skin on their back. And they're worried that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. In fact, they're, they are no doubt wondering, wrestling with the consequences of being associated with Jesus. They are afraid. I was thinking about this a few years back, how there are some who claim to be Christian but deny the resurrection of Jesus, and that means that they're Holy Saturday Christians. Jesus is dead but not raised. And if you're a Holy Saturday Christian, then 
you're locking the doors. You're living in fear. Jesus is raised from the dead. We know that's on the way. But it seems like the only people, and here's the curious thing, because the, it's, this takes us to the only text that we really have about what happened on Holy Saturday. It's in the very end of Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66. I'll read you the, the paragraph. The only, uh, the, the only people seemingly who were paying attention to Jesus' promise to be raised from the dead were the Pharisees. Here's the text. Now the, de the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if these Pharisees were breaking the Sabbath day. <laughs> They're precious rules to do this work. More than anyone else, they remember that Jesus promised that he would be raised from the dead, and they're going to make sure that a hoax doesn't happen or a deception doesn't happen. They're going to go and seal the grave to make sure that, that Jesus stays in there and that all this preaching of Jesus stays quiet. So that's Holy Saturday. Jesus keeps the Sabbath. He rests in the grave. The disciples keep the Sabbath. They huddle together in fear. The women keep the Sabbath. They're preparing anxiously for the next morning when they can go and finish their work of burial. And the Pharisees go and seal the tomb, the seal that would be broken only a few hours later. What a beautiful day. Blessed Holy Saturday. Dirk has a question about the role of God's law in our lives. It's great. Uh, hi, blessings. Dirk writes, I've been a Lutheran for about two years now, and I've been struggling to accept the third use of the law. From my understanding... Walking in obedience to the gospel in the spirit, quote, fulfills the law, as Luther said. The fact that it stirs up sin seems like it would be problematic. Also, it seems the controlling factor in our life would be the gospel, as the righteous shall live by faith. I can understand the first two uses, but it seems a third use would stand in competition to the modus operandi in our lives. Thanks for any insights and help. Take care. Well, Dirk, thank you. Wonderful question. Blessed Holy Saturday to you. Hope you're doing well. Glad to hear that you're uh, a new Lutheran, a Lutheran, someone I heard calling you guys a Lutheran, which is pretty cool. Uh, great question. Uh, the two quick things by way of preface and reference. So um, just to review the uses of the law or the functions of the law or the way the Holy Spirit uses the law. Number one, the law is a curb. And that is for all people 
to guide society. This is sometimes also natural law. Um, this is the commandments where the Lord says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. These are things that are criminal, really, and can be prosecuted. So there's a law that that serves as a um, a reign on our sinful flesh for all people. And that is the first and universal use of the law. The second use of the law is sometimes called the mirror use of the law. This is the spiritual use of the law, the chief use of the law. And it is the law that shows us our sins. We would know, um, well, because we have a conscience and the law is also written on our conscience, we would know that there's something wrong with us in what we do and think and say and want. But that That's very difficult to get to. So the Holy Spirit comes along and says, hey, not it's not just that. It's even worse than you think. Uh, you are a sinner. You're conceived in sin. And your sin is not only against your neighbor or against some abstract law. Your sin is against God. That, by the way, is the difference between, I think, a troubled conscience and a terrified conscience. A troubled conscience knows it's done something wrong. A terrified conscience knows that it's offended God. Like, like David prays, against you and you only have I sinned. So, uh, the second use of the law comes, like Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin uh, and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment of sin because they don't believe in me. So, the second use shows us that we need a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves, that we need Christ to come and save. The third use of the law comes when we do have the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit uses the law as a guide that shows us how to live. In fact, so I think of it sometimes like this. A faith opens up a whole new realm of keeping the law that wasn't even available to us before we had the Holy Spirit. So to trust in God in the midst of trouble, to, to commend ourselves to the Lord in the midst of difficulty and affliction and even death, to die in the Lord's name, trusting in his promises, to pray if you don't believe. You can't pray, and you, and you don't pray. There's no need to, and so prayer is a is a um, is a whole new life that's opened up to us after we believe in the Lord Jesus. So the third use is sort of those um, those parts of God's law which aren't even accessible if we don't if we don't believe in Him. Now, so that, that's the three uses of the law. Uh, the best place to look for this is in the formula of concord. So you'll remember that uh, that after Luther died, 1540-something, uh, there were some controversies that broke out. And to settle those controversies, a number of Lutheran theologians got together and wrote a magnificent book um, document called The Formula of Concord. It was published in 1577. They published two versions of it, a full version and a Cliff Notes version. So the full version is called the Solid Declaration. The Cliff Notes version is called the Epitome. And in there, they have an article on the third use of the law. Article 5 is on the law and the gospel. And Article 6 is on the third use of the law. It's really beautiful. And I would read through it there. Um, they wrestle with a couple of the questions that, uh, that you're asking. Uh, for example... If I'm holy, according to the gospel, and according to God's spiritual gifts, then why do I need the law? 
What is it that energizes my good works? That's going to be the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And yet, um, the Holy Spirit is pleased to use means even to direct the Christian life. So the Holy Spirit doesn't become mystical and say, you do this or you do that. He uses the law, in fact, to tell us how we ought to live and what we ought to do, and we rejoice in it. The condemnation of the law is taken away. And so there's a phrase that came up in the Lutheran confessions, lex semper accusat, the law always accuses. And that's true because we're in the flesh and we're sinners. But we want to remember, number one, that the law doesn't only accuse, it also instructs. And the law will not always accuse. When we're in the resurrection, that accusation will be totally finished. And the law accuses us again according to our flesh, but not according to the spirit. Uh, I've been thinking about the distinction between law and gospel some lately, and I've been um, praying that the Lord would give us the wisdom of his law and the comfort of his gospel. And I think that has helped me to to kind of embrace this full use of the law, because part of the wisdom of the law is the wisdom of my own sin. But another part of the wisdom of the law is how I ought to live toward God and toward my neighbor. And really that third use of the law is that wisdom use, the, the wisdom use of God's law that shows us um, how to bless and serve the Lord and our neighbor according to his will. So I hope that's helpful. If you have further follow-up questions, please send those along. I, but I hope this is a beginning uh, to exploring some of these things with you. And again, commend to you and all the listeners uh, that uh, formula of Concord. You can find it online at bookofconcord.org. Well, we did it. Lent up early. Every day during Lent, except for uh, Sundays. But we even got some Sundays in there, didn't we? That's pretty cool. Uh, thanks for being along for the ride. This has been really fantastic. God be praised. Um, I've been thinking about what to do next. Because I, I don't want to give this up. Because you guys keep sending these questions. And this is actually a really nice way to for me to answer them. So here's what I think we'll do. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's Easter and uh, probably be pretty busy. But I think after that, next week, I, I think maybe uh, Monday to Friday, I might try to do a little Q&A podcast. And this is what I'm thinking about, that I'll do, I'll answer a question in the first segment. So take away the devotional first segment, uh, answer a question first segment, and then pick one text that's probably the best or a helpful text for that particular question. And then just kind of do a deep dive devotional uh, discussion of that text. So I'll sort of springboard off of uh, off of the question uh, into the Bible passage and see what we can discover there. I think that's what we'll do. So um, I don't know what we'll call it. It'll still be what not the podcast, uh, but maybe we'll have kind of season three or something like that. Uh, if you have ideas. Then, uh, then let me know. But that's my thoughts. So keep listening. And we should be back Monday or Tuesday uh, with the first episode of the new season, a Q&A with a little devotional deep dive into the scriptures itself. We'll try to keep it same sort of length, mm, 10, 12 to 25 minutes. Uh, so you can listen on your commute. And hopefully I'll be recording. I started at the end recording the day early so I can post it up early in the morning. And uh, we'll try to keep that going too. So 
Uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed uh, walking through Lent uh, and especially this last Holy Week with me. I really appreciate you all being here and your attention as well. It's really wonderful. God be praised for that. And may the, the joy of the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the rest in the tomb of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the ongoing prayer of Jesus, the sending of the Spirit from Jesus. May this be uh, your wisdom and your comfort and your peace. <laughs>